If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the street and Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Welcome to Craft Heads Podcast, episode 158, the podcast about nothing but also everything. I did it right that time, Tara. We have um, just myself and Tara here tonight. Thank you for joining, Tara. You're welcome. It is the night of February 5th, 2023. You should get this out within a couple of days. But we uh, finally sat down to record a deeply important topic to us, which is on the show, The Wire. Uh, there will not be spoilers until a certain part that I have marked down in the episode description. So like, if you want to hang with us till then and come back at a later time, that would be super cool. If you want to listen to it, even though you haven't seen the show, I strongly recommend against doing that, but I suppose uh, it's your life and you can do as you please. So thanks for listening. Glad you're here. And um, just to uh, reiterate here, we're not turning into a completely uh, media-focused podcast. I know there's been a lot of that lately between Elden Ring. The um, we did a uh, the first episode. The last one was the first Craft Heads that I have actually not been on. Well, uh, thank you, Tommy and Claire, for holding down the fort uh, while we were traveling and everything. But uh, we do have we'll have another movie rundown coming out soon. So it seems like there's been a lot lately. But you know, we'll sort of get back to our. Uh, regular, regularly scheduled programming, if you will, that is uh, slightly less media heavy. But we do enjoy our our movies, TV shows, and video games, so it does happen from time to time. So, Tara, like episode one thirty one, um, you know, we talked about a uh, half and half, a, a lot more about the movie, The Many Saints of Newark, and of course, a little bit about The Sopranos as well. We never did do a fully dedicated episode of The Sopranos, kind of like I wanted to. I did re-listen to that episode today, though, just to see sort of what we did and how much we covered. And um, I was I was happy with it. But I think one of my worries was that I could never possibly or we could never do the show justice. And I realized that that's just kind of a dumb fear. I mean, we're just here to talk about it, how much we love it, why it's important and special and, and move on. So I did do a lot more preparation for this. I I can't even tell you how many hours I've spent reading about the background of The Wire on Wikipedia. Just before the podcast, I prepared for another hour and a half. So I do have sort of a list of things we can go through together. Again, no spoilers yet, just uh, sort of as a basis for the show. Uh, it, did, it aired from 2002 to 2008. This was on HBO. There were five seasons, uh, about... I think 60 episodes total, about an hour each, you know, sort of a little bit of fluctuation on both sides. The season finale was like a like movie length. And um, I remember when we first started watching it, Tara, it, it seemed like it was basically primarily about the black mafia and, of course, the, the illegal drug trade in season one. But then as season two came along, no spoilers yet, it made me realize that it was something so much bigger. Basically, the way I, the way that I would describe it is um, like systemic failure in society, not of any one particular thing, just literally the, the failure of systems, uh, especially in our big cities. And actually, if you read about what uh, the show, the primary showrunner and writer, how he described it, he said, quote, really about the American city and about how we live together. It's about how institutions have an effect on individuals, whether one is a cop, a longshoreman, a drug dealer, a politician, a judge, or a lawyer, all are ultimately compromised and must contend with whatever institution to which they are committed. I think that's, I mean, he's the creator, but he worded that perfectly. Yeah, and, and you I, can see that throughout the show. Yeah, it it is just, that is the perfect description for it. And um, I, I want to give a shout out and a huge thanks to um, our friend Adam, who was on episode 149, because he's the one that sort of like really pushed us to watch it. He saw that I bought it on Blu-ray because I don't want to have, I don't want to pay for HBO forever. And I want to have hard copies of things that are important to us, like The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. So he saw it just sitting on Blu-ray in our place the one day. And I told him I planned to eventually watch it or to watch it. And he's lit a fire under our asses. And, you know, he, he describes it, at least the quality is like every episode is art and it all works together and is woven together to build this beautiful tapestry. And I couldn't agree more with that either. So yeah. without further ado, again, before the spoilers, 
we do have our drinks of the hour. And this is a pretty special thing. I, I have to tell everybody a story about how Tara and I found these. But um, every episode, you know, we have an alcoholic beverage of some kind. We've been doing a lot of craft beers lately. And the story of how we found this was I wanted to record this episode a little bit sooner. It took us a couple of weeks to sort of get ready. But I wanted to find something really special that was unique to either the wire itself and the show or the city of Baltimore, obviously. So the first thing that I thought of was, you know, we should do shots of Jameson or something, or maybe do an Irish whiskey comparison because the, the one of the main characters, Jimmy McNulty, who's played by Dominic West, he is just constantly sucking down, and many other characters, uh, Jameson in the show. Of course, that's not super crafty or unique, uh, which is normally what we shoot for on, on craft heads. So we walked to our, our nearby liquor store by where we live, and in a, I was, again, I was going to get like two different Irish whiskeys and maybe do a tasting against Jameson. And Tara was like, oh, let's, let's go back and check out the beer. And I said, okay, fine. So we go in this cold ass room they have there with all the beers. And one of the first thing that catches my eye was some incredibly cool artwork on some six packs. And they were from Heavy Seas Beer. And wouldn't you know it, um, they are from Baltimore, Maryland. And on top of that, one of the ones that you see featured on the episode image is called Double Cannon. And I just feel like God was just throwing me a bone here. And like it was just kind of like a little inside joke because I feel like it was so appropriate. Not only that we found something, just stumbled across this this um, Baltimore, Maryland brewery, but Double Cannon. And you know we're going to be talking a lot about one of the show's most beloved characters, actually of, of television of all time, Omar Little portrayed by Michael K. Williams, rest in peace. The double cannon name of the double IPA and his double-barreled shotgun that he carried around. Sawed off. Sawed off shotgun. I mean, was it sawed off? I can't remember. Yeah. It was definitely double I think they referenced that in the show that it was a sawed off double barrel. Probably. And and I mean, that would be the most gangster thing possible. So it would make sense that that's what he had. But regardless, um, we found three very special beers because they're all high gravity and we actually went through one of those six packs already. We're not drinking all three on the podcast. We do just have the um, the double cannon. But I wanted to lead off with the first one that we tried, which was their Cosmic Blur. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Tara? I just remember I loved it a lot. And then, of course, we crushed the whole six pack because I have no self-control. It was one of the most interesting sours I think I've ever tasted I agree with that. It is described as a tropical sour ale. It was 9%, and there are notes uh, from purees of pineapple, mango, and passion fruit. And I have to say, it was not only probably was the best sour I've ever had, but so far, it's my favorite beer that I've tried in 2023. I'm, yeah, I, I'm could, I could agree sure. with that. Yeah, it's, it's truly like spectacular. And it was just so funny because, you know, again, we found these beers, we're, we're going through them. And I, I was reminding Tara, like save at least one of each for the podcast. And then the one night we were getting them particularly sloshed and I saw her sucking down the last one. So there was uh, nothing I could do about <laughs> that, but hopefully we're going to, we can find some more of those. Um, the second one was the, uh, volcano chocolate volcano dessert stout. I like that they specifically call out, call it a dessert stout. It is also 9%. These are the kinds of beers that I think back in the day, whenever I didn't have as developed of a palate and, you know, sort of really honed in on what I like the most out of my craft beers that I probably would have like thought, oh, this is really cool. Like, this is really amazing. And it is a very good beer, but I definitely would not want more than one for, say, dessert. And I actually split them a lot with people. It, it, I was just going to say, I think those they're, um, those are perfect beers to have, if, if you don't have like a dessert in your home and you want dessert after you make a meal, just, you know, you and I could just crack one open, split it, and then boom, there's your dessert. Absolutely. And honestly, sometimes I prefer a cocktail to dessert. Actually, most of the time I do. So this kills two birds with one stone. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's very good. It's just, you know, chill. You don't want to drink three of these. Also super cool artwork on the bottle. I liked, I liked it on all three, actually. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, the double cannon, it is... A double IPA, it's 9.5%. We did pour one for the podcast here to split on air. And um, just as a little extra tidbit of knowledge, I, I feel like I need to be, we need to be doing more of this in terms of like craft beer knowledge. And I I didn't even know exactly what a double IPA was. And it's incredibly simple. They add extra hops and malt 
And as a result, there's more sugar for the yeast to eat. Yes, thank you, for lack of a better word, and uh, create more alcohol. So that's why double IPAs are typically uh, stronger with, well, they're going to be stronger with their ABV and typically stronger in taste, but not necessarily always the case. It just, that's often how it goes. But um, all three of them, very good beers. The Cosmic Blur, like, really knocks, knocked our socks off, or as Tara says, blows her socks off. And I will say this, I don't want to take away any um, thunder from Heavy Seas Beer, but a really terrific comparison it tastes, it reminds me of Southern Tears double IPA. Yep. And the reason I'm saying that as in, as a compliment is to me, that's the gold standard of a double IPA. And I'm not sure if I had been done a blind taste test, I'm not sure if I would have been able to tell the difference. Now, of course, now I kind of want to do that sometime, but it's that good. It's a terrific double IPA. So in the, in this order, Cosmic Blur was our favorite, then the double can and then the chocolate volcano, I would yep. say is number three. So we don't. We don't. We only have one glass. But cheers to her. Yeah, cheers. Mm-hmm. We do have a surprise drink for the end as well. So, without further ado, as I like to say, we are now going to dive into spoilers here. So again, this is your final warning. We're going into the show. We're talking about the wire. There will be heavy spoilers. So here we go. Um, I mentioned earlier how you know the first episode is. It, it seemed primarily about the black mafia and illegal drug trade and everything, but really each season, there are five of them, of course, they focus on different things in each season. So the first one is the illegal drug trade in the Barksdale organization. The second one is on the ports and the union of the longshoremen and the introduction of the Greeks, who are basically, you can tell that they're like a much larger global criminal organization. Um, the third season is focused on city government and bureaucracy, and it's also where they plant the seeds for the the following season's um, mayoral election and also the introduction of Hamsterdam, which is hilarious because somebody referred to the lawless open-air drug market where they kind of uh, cordoned everything off as Am- New Amsterdam, and one of like the uneducated corner kids called Hamsterdam, and it, it, the name just stuck for the entire show, so that was hilarious. Um, fourth season is indeed the a big focus on the mayoral election, but more importantly, the educational system, public schools, and a lot of the kids. The youth, I was just going to say. That yeah. was such a cool spin on the show. At the, I mean, they're all so different and, and beautiful, but it was really neat seeing how the youth uh, of, of cities in general is affected by all of this. I mean, uh, I, I said affected. I really should say infected. And it was really cool to follow their their stories because some of them got wrapped up in it some of them were able to escape some of them got worse you know and and we'll get into more of those details later and then season five of course was on uh print news and journalism uh and then there was also a much heavier focus on of course marlo stanfield and the co-op and everything as the show was sort of wrapping up all loose ends so i mentioned earlier that tapestry notion. All of these seasons did come together to just build this, I'll say tragically beautiful story because it, it's so perfectly written and, and well done as a television show, but it is so close to reality. It is reality. Yeah, and, and I was even going to comment too, so I know we'll probably dive into some more details and in, in things in different seasons, but the whole structure of how the show starts off where you see... It's, it's kind of like an onion in a, in a way. Like you see like what's going on in season one. Like you see these issues and then you peel back a layer behind it. And it's like, oh my God, okay. Like maybe we're seeing where suppliers are coming from and like this whole different organization and how that's connected. And then you eventually getting to the kids and the youth. And then I, I really wanted to say how much I love the way they wrapped up the show because the way they ended the show kind of ties it all together it it shows everything in like a kind of like a big picture but it's a circle yep and then you start right back at square one again and you could have a totally new show you could have the wire two and it could have the same exact or like very similar structure but with totally different you know characters or the characters that they show at the very end like show them growing up and stuff like that so that was a very brilliant move i thought and then it also kind of sad. Yep. And <laughs> like it, hugely sad, actually. You, you nailed it, Tara. You saying like there could be a wire too. And basically the only thing that would be different are the people in the roles 
because as Avon Barksdale kept trying to convince Stringer Bell, and Stringer Bell was trying to say, like, things are different, things have changed, especially whenever Avon went away to prison for a while. He kept trying to say that they had to change and adapt, and Avon was like, the game is the game. Yeah. And I can remember early on thinking that Avon was actually maybe being a little bit obstinate and stubborn, and I realized he was the smarter one, and he was correct. And, I, you know, I, I do want to talk about some of those themes. So I, I did, like... <laughs> I did borderline meditation on, on the themes and like sort of what I took away from the show. Cause again, it, it is kind of depressing. And some these themes, Tara, you, I think you said a cycle. One of them I have written down is that verbatim, I have endless cycle new players. This is new game plus. Yeah. It's a constant cycle that is repeated. You can kill, um, you know, the, these folks on the corner, you can kill uh, high level drug dealers. Um, you can shift around the cops that are, that are involved in investigating and start up and close down different crime units, but just new ones pop up in their place and the same shit happens and it goes on and on and on. Uh, another one of the themes for sure is the senseless killing. And I just, I really loved how there, there were many uh, references of characters directly talking about it, like Bodhi, especially even in, early on in the show, like Bodhi, who was I kind of hated him in in the first season because of he's a terrific character, but he and Poot uh, killed Michael B. Wallace. Um, Michael B. Jordan. Thank you. AKA Wallace. I wrote down Michael B. Wallace. (laughs) My God. Michael B. Jordan, uh, as you know, Wallace, this, this young, largely innocent kid, all of these kids are trapped in this situation. And it's just like unbelievable how cheap life is, you know, and Bodhi would be like, why do we, in, in other seasons, you'd be like, why do we have to, you know, kill people? Like, why can't we just deal the drugs? And like some of the police figures were saying things like deal the drugs and move on. Like, why do we have to drop bodies in in this whole process? And obviously you don't, but that's, that's what happens. And, um, I think one of the most depressing themes that I pulled away from the show, especially with the ending and the way that everything was tied, tied up is it can't be fixed. And that sort of ties into my own, worldviews to be honest and views in human civilization is like i think one of the biggest problems that all other problems stem from is that we try and manage too large of a of amounts or regions or whatever you want to call it of of people you know like we we started off evolutionarily as very tribal creatures tiny yeah and you know you you, you're part of a tribe and you might have had 20 50 maybe 100 people but like as that number grows and you have a smaller and smaller number of individuals calling the shots and and making decisions on behalf of all of these people the most obvious example is one president making decisions for 330 million people in the united states or however many people we have in the country like it's not it's not sustainable there's no there's no good way to do that. It's completely impossible. And whenever I look at all of these institutions that are interwoven in the show, I see that exact same theme just repeated over and over again. And there's, it, in our current state, it can't be fixed. And it's not going to be fixed. Yeah. The the one thing that I took away from the show, um, like the biggest thing, is because like I don't disagree with everything you said. Like I totally agree. And and it's honestly depressing. Like I, I loved the show and I was sad when it ended because I really enjoyed the characters, but it's depressing because it's literally occurring and has occurred and will occur in the future. Like that will probably never stop ever. And it, it'll just change forms and you know, things like that. But the thing that I took away from it, um, and I didn't, I, I don't call it meditation, maybe not as much as mm-hmm. you, but I think the season that did it for me, like, like, like kicked it off was season four with the kids. Yeah. And you know, you can see these huge overarching problems in reality, like even in the show, like you can see like how like just the political corruptness and where the money is going like to certain people and just getting paid off and just the whole spider web of shit that it all is. Yep. 
that happens in reality. Of you know, course it, it does. And, and I think I think to say that that doesn't occur is very naive and ignorant. And if that's your belief, I feel so good for you because <laughs> you don't have to have that mental burden of like, wow, oh my god, like the nihilism of what's it all for if nothing is changing and I'm on the side that's not winning or not benefiting at all, and I'm just, you know, sitting here like, what's the point? Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what 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 thing am I doing? to stop the evil powers at be. And I think the biggest thing that I took away was watching Bunny. Bunny Colvin, Major Bunny, Bunny Colvin. Major Bunny Colvin and the kids themselves and stuff. And um, actually Presbaluski as well. But yep. just me as, as who I am in my day-to-day, and I, again, we don't leave the house that much, <laughs> a simple, small, kind thing that you can do for a stranger. It doesn't have to be every day or like every week or something, but those small acts of kindness that one fellow man does to another fellow man or fellow human to fellow human. Um, I think those are the most important things. And, um, like if you obviously can't change those huge things like way above you or things that are way out of your control, you know, you get a little bit of happiness by making someone's day, like complimenting someone's outfit or shoes or, Anything or giving money be, to a homeless or, person or giving or money to, to anyone, someone yep. who's downtrodden, someone who really needs help. Um, yeah, know, I shouldn't have said whenever, homeless. Yeah, whenever you and I, um, you know, purchase clothing, like I, I try to keep my closet pretty slim and I actually feel relieved and less burdened and lighter when I go through my closet and I pack up a bunch of clothing that I'm not wearing and I'm just like, okay, well, why do I have a whole closet full of clothing if I can only wear one outfit at a time every single day? I can't wear the whole closet all at once. So what's the point of having all this stuff I'm not using? And so doing those purges and giving it to the church where I know all the clothing is going to go to someone who really, really needs it, like someone who actually needs socks and shoes and like jeans and jackets and stuff in like the wintertime, like those small things i'm like okay at least at least i made someone else's day better even if i'm not like taking down corrupt politicians like because yep. i can't because i'm just a remote worker in our condo yeah it's so, it's kind of sad that went off on a tangent <laughs> i was gonna say so the wire no it's it's kind of sad because i feel like today it's good you're doing well enough it just by not putting more evil into the world i would like to think that all of us can take more of an active positive and, and be, you know, role and be a force for good. But as long as you're not making it worse, then you are in essence making the world a better place. So again, overarching themes, you know, uh, and, and this is all, you said nihilism in there. I, it is, it can be a very oh, it's nihilistic, very nihilistic show. Yeah. And, and the reason it's one of the reasons that it's so real is the, the primary showrunner, uh, David Simon and, and writer, he was a, um, he was a, a writer for a police reporter for 12 years with the Baltimore Sun. And uh, he, he wrote a couple of books as well. And, you know, he, so he, he saw it all. You know, he experienced these things firsthand in his journalism days. And, you know, there are so many characters in the show, and I can't go through all of them. You know, I, I, I would fail. I would miss out on some. So if and when you watch the show or if you have watched the show, go back and do some reading. It is unbelievable how many characters are... Uh, you, you know, they're either based on real people or in some cases literally play themselves. The The best example is uh, Snoop. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, I was hoping you would bring her absolutely up. Absolutely terrifying presence on screen and terrific actor, but she's not an actor. Her name is Felicia Pearson. This is all on Wikipedia. It's not like it's a secret. And this woman grew up in the streets and was convicted of second degree murder and went to prison for six and a half years. And Michael K. Williams, uh, Omar, the character, he discovered her in a club in Baltimore, I read, and like brought her to the set, you know, to like try and get her on the show. And, you know, obviously they fell in love with her because they were like, this is, this adds an unparalleled level of authenticity there's, to the there's show. There's realness. Yeah. And, and like one of them, um, you mentioned Bunny Colvin earlier, like his right hand man or like the guy right under him, I, th- I think a captain, Dennis Mello, he is played by. A detect a former homicide detective by the name of uh, Jay Landsman, who there is a Jay Landsman in the show. That very rotund guy who's yep. he's like very frustrating, but also comic relief at times. And from the Eastern District, so 
his character is based off of the real Jay Landsman who plays Dennis Mello in the show. Yeah. And I think there was a real Dennis Mello too. There might have in been. In real life. Like yeah. it, it's unbelievable. Like a portion of the cast is just based on straight up reality. So that's where all of this, this realism and you know, some of these, these themes come from because it's, it's based in reality. Uh, well, and, and a lot of those actors, so like, like Idris Elba, I think he got his, we'll get there. I, I have a whole thing okay. to talk about. I'll, I'll trust the process. Yes, tr- trust the process. Thank you. Um, and, and I also don't want to. Um, I don't want to not give credit to uh, Ed Burns, who was one of the writing partners and also a former homicide detective and public school teacher. Which, funny enough, you know that's kind of like the character Prez. But um, you know, he, I'm sure he was uh, tremendously influential on in the show. But one thing before we move on from the themes is, I this. There is a song, and anybody who knows me, my probably my all-time favorite rapper and certainly lyricist is Andre 3000, Andre Benjamin from Outkast. And ironically, or not ironically, just hit my favorite verse, I think, in any of his songs or features isn't even an Outkast song. It's a Rick Ross song called 16. And this, this came out, I would say, probably 10 years ago easily or close to it. And he, he just goes, he raps nonstop for like two whole minutes. It's, it's a thing of beauty. And in those lyrics, he's, he's recounting a story and he says, she yelling that, that selling's a sin while so is telling young men that selling is a sin if you don't offer new ways to win. And having seen The Wire, especially season four, and then reflecting on that lyric after I listened to that song, after watching the show, it just like hit me in a completely different way. And it's, it it talks to this this trap this endless cycle of like there's no fix and there's no hope and it it's it's helped me look at these issues in a different light and like be more empathetic toward it instead of just like angry you know what i mean because oh yeah yeah i think empathy is a, is a huge part of this here. yeah and it's very easy to you know to be looking at something from your ivory tower when none of this affects you on the surface level on a daily level and criticize it when you don't you don't know what that's like. Yeah, it's you know, like the gentry I, looking down on all the uh, yeah, I grew poor up, peasants working. I grew the fields. up in a in a terrific family in a great place and had lots of advantages that lots of people are not born with. You know, and yeah. that, that's it's important to acknowledge that. So, um, characters and development, Tara. Do you want to take the lead with this? Because you I, you've I've got, got the structure list. written out. I see. Got, he, so yeah. he's got this notepad you have three out. Three whole ass pages. Yeah, over he's here. got so many so many pages. He's got his little. There's only one left. So yeah, pencil. We're good. Yeah. So I'll let you take this, and when you want me to input. So here's here's a um, a controversial statement with myself. Oh no. I think the characters and character development is superior to The Sopranos. Yes. I I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, I probably should have said this earlier on. I can't remember if I did, but Sopranos is my gold standard. I would listen and and acknowledge anybody who says they think The Wire is better. And I would almost go so far as to say that they're like tied in my mind. They're, they're both perfect. To me, they're equal. Yeah, they, they are. On, For they different are, reasons. They're in, they're in the same ballpark. I yeah. could not agree with you more in terms of, of you know, like they have different strengths and character development. That one goes to the wire. The Soprano. So this is how I kind of think about both of them. Cause I thought about this in the comparison, um, you know, that many people do with that. The Sopranos to me is kind of like junk food. Ooh, like I don't when, say that. That's no, 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 awful. no, no, oh, no. Okay. No, maybe not junk food. <laughs> how, how about I say it like this? The Sopranos yeah. is when you really want to treat yourself and in, it's like eating like a piece of, how about this? It's like eating your favorite dessert. Or having like your favorite meal, like it's a very enjoyable thing and you're treating yourself. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Sure. When I look at The Wire and I know we're going to rewatch The Wire at least once. Oh my God. That, yeah. that show is for when you want to put some perspective in your life and when you want to like really kind of delve deep into your own psyche on how you interact with the world around you. Yeah, I, it's it's not a happy fair. show. No, it, it there's is, some it's funny moments, not. and and actually, I have said this before. Sopranos is as much a comedy as it is top tier drama. I mean, yeah. it's And sometimes when I say unintentionally, it's certainly intentional by David Chase and the writers, but it's unintentional by the characters. They are unintentionally hilarious sometimes, either by way of vulgarity or ignorance or whatever, what have you. You yeah. know what I mean? Whereas like. 
there's there's not quite as much of that in the wire. It is grittier. It is um, more serious, I would say, because other than I'm sure there are like six degrees of separations where where you could find it, but more people are affected by the problems that are portrayed and explored in the wire than people are affected by the Italian mafia. Yes, a hundred percent. I will say in general, I know there are exceptions. And again, there are there, like I could link problems in my life, probably like, you know, three steps down the road to organized crime. But in general, if you do not get involved in organized crime, it's not necessarily affecting you directly. Indirectly, sure. Again, a couple steps down the line. But yeah. the, the the themes in, in The Wire, I think they one of the reasons it is so good is because of how relevant it is and how all, these these problems affect all of our lives. And um, so let's talk about some of those characters. Before I start rattling people off, Tara, who are your favorites? <gasps> okay, my three favorites. Omar. Obviously. Number one, hundred percent. Okay. Okay, number great. one, he's my he's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And then my second two favorite are Lester Freeman and Bunk. That's amazing. Uh, it's Bunk uh, throughout the show. Bunk was a consistent character yeah. in who he was. Yeah, and I really, really enjoyed watching the actor portraying him. Like I, I, I there was something about Bunk's character that I really, really thought like this is a stable stone in the show mm-hmm. that we need. Like this is some stability. He is an anchor. And then like, so you see like initially McNulty was interesting. Like I liked McNulty, but then he's, oh my God, he's such a shithead that I was Portrayed like, Portrayed by oh. Dominic West. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, I can't stand McNulty. And then by the end of the show when he's like, manipulating dead bodies. I'm just like, oh my God, I fucking hate you. I can't wait to talk a little so bit more mad. about it. Season five is so insane. I couldn't believe they did that it, and wrote that into the show. Wrote that into the show. Oh my God. I wound up being like on a moral level. I understand McNulty's frustration with the system and the bureaucracy and the red tape. And did he mislead an entire city? Yes. Did he empirically do any real harm to people? No. I would say the answer is no. And he wound up accomplishing his goal. Of course, the fact that Marlo Stanfield walked, that, you know, then that is a grayer area. But there were a lot of people that got put away, including, you know, one of the most savage people in the show, uh, Chris Partlow. He's actually on my list of favorite characters. Um, he was a good character, yeah. Ter- terrific, terrifically acted as well. But I, and, and I don't have the names for everybody, and I, I do apologize for that. But that, that guy was just unbelievable. There was something about the dead bodies, though. That I, I don't know. There's something about, like respecting the dead in the way that they died and then then you just you just have to like there's like reverence and there's like unspoken rules of like respect towards dead people and he's just like i don't know he was manipulating the first one and like put him up i'm like is mcnulty gonna sodomize a dead body on the screen i was so and and he had to drink to get through it like he he acknowledged how fucked up what he was doing and and you're talking about it from like desecrating the dead standpoint yes i'm I'm not talking about anything else i'm talking about it from the the insanity. Of, like, if anybody knows anything about being a homicide detective, you don't fucking touch anything. And it's yeah. watching him, a seasoned, excellent police, which I loved. I picked that up from the wire, referring to a policeman Good or police. woman as a as a police, like yeah. a noun. I just think that's fun. Um, but yeah, it's just that whole season was wild. And McNulty, what a terrific character. He, he's not necessarily my favorite, but his arc. And what drives him, like he is such a fuck up of a person, but he, he means well. very well. And and it's it, he's the the very definition of the road to hell is paved with with good intentions. You yep. know, it, it, like that's the one thing he is terrific at is his police work. And then he just gets so tired of not being able to to catch the bad guys that yeah. he's like, well, I'm going to break the rules to that's catch. That's how the bad he deals guys. with his nihilism of not being yeah. able to act. So, um, yeah, actually, uh, Bunk Tara, he went to Juilliard, uh, meaning the, the act, oh shit, I have his name written down somewhere, son of a gun. Wendell Pierce is his name. He went to Juilliard, and uh, he's a Broadway, Broadway guy, too, so I think that probably has a little something to do with why his character is so good, is because he's a, a terrific actor. Yeah. Um, my favorites, it's a longer list in no particular order, uh, but I will say maybe, probably leading with Omar, I mean, come on. 
And, you know, cause I love a good Robin hood. I mean, I, I love the idea of, you know, taking from those who have too much and, and giving to, to those who don't, yeah. it's, it's a great concept. Who doesn't love that? Plus he's just a total badass. But, um, Lester Freeman is my favorite of the good guys. I mean, just, he was another pretty, um, pretty constant guy. He, he was, he was like simultaneously surprising and and also not at the same time whenever he learned of McNulty's plan in season five and he was like all on board because again, he viewed sort of skirting the rules in order for, you know, to pursue a higher good, i.e. catch the bad guys, Marlo Stanfield. He, he thought it was just justifiable. So yep. terrific character. And then some of the uh, people on the other side of the aisle that I just thought were terrific, uh, Prop Joe. Oh yeah, he, okay. He, his, he was good. He, he played that. So he died well. a few years ago, I think. Aww. The the actor, um, Slim Charles, is oh, yeah. definitely one. Of, he Slim was, Charles is, I think, top five for me. He was one of the most level headed gangsters in the show, and I loved that about oh, him. Yeah. He was always very cool, and like even whenever Omar had a gun to his head, he like made his case very clear and. He was like, I didn't have anything to do with this. Just terrific. Such a and cool character. I'm so glad they gave him the role of shooting cheese yes. in the fucking head. I che- hated cheese. Cheese what is one of the worst fucking person. characters in the show. And whenever Slim Charles was just like, I'm done with this guy, and just popped him point blank in the head. I, I, I remember when I was, I was watching the season finale, there were a lot of people that I wanted to see get what was coming to them, and I didn't get to see it. Seeing cheese get killed... I was like, all right, yeah. I'll take this is good enough for me. I accept. Yep. So Yeah, I was happy. Um, that was incredible. I think I like Slim too, because Slim is an echo of the old Barksdale crew in the beginning of the show in season one and like how that just yes. just he the made way it all you, the way. He made it all the way, but like and then it, yeah, it's like a it's like an echo from that previous time because I really enjoyed watching like Idris Elba and and all of them together. Like, I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed watching that group of actors interacting. You know, this isn't fair. I really, I, I should be bringing up Avon and Stringer more, but I could have used a little bit more Avon in the show. I thought he was yeah. going to show up more at the end. And, and as a matter of fact, what was really cool about Avon was how I thought he was going to trap Marlo at the end. And eventually like he was going to be his demise. Cause he sort of took over after Avon went away. And then he was like, I'm all West side. And he was just like, fuck those East Coast, you know, guys. <laughs> and he was just so West Baltimore, that was where his loyalty, yeah, w- that's where it was going to lie, regardless tribe. of who was in charge. That was his tribe, exactly. So um, that was really cool. But uh, Stringer was somebody who started off as one of my favorite characters, like just s- such a such a presence oh, on he screen. Was but I started commanding. hating him. Yeah. I started hating yep, He started turning into a piece of shit. His ego got too big for yeah. him. He started getting outsmarted. Tried like I love whenever he tried to tell Slim Charles to to take out Clay Davis, and Slim Charles was like, "Murder ain't no thing," but like that's an assassination. We're not we're not doing that. You know, like that's out of the question. Yeah. Just and Stringer got what he was coming to him. I I predicted he was gonna die early and die bloody because all of the things he was doing just not sustainable and. His end to Omar and Brother Mazone. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so I would love to have an image in our home <laughs> of Omar and Brother Mazone yeah. walking together next to each other because I think that was just so oh, that was so cool. I'm yep. so glad they did that. Yeah, it, it that was, was sad. It was terrific. He that was one of the most satisfying story arc conclusions of the entire show. Um couple more mentions on characters that I just absolutely loved. Um Cuddy. Dennis Wise. I, I just loved Cuddy and and his transformation. He okay, so there there are there another theme in the show, and it's a lot smaller compared to the others, is redemption. There are some people who were redeemed. And Cuddy was one of them. You know, he was a stone stone gangster and went to prison for years, did his time, came out, tried he tried to be on the straight and narrow, and he was like, Oh, this sucks. Tried to get back in the game, and he realized he was like what he was, he'd had a conversation with Avon. He's like, whatever's in you that drives you, he's like, it ain't in me no more. Yeah. It's like that, that was just no longer a part of who he was. You know, he, he did that time and had a transformative experience in prison, no doubt. And he, he was a changed man, came out, worked his ass off, started up that boxing gym. He was like a safe haven for those kids. Just 
a t- what a tremendous character and like and fought doggedly to save some of these kids' souls and ultimately some of them were unsavable. Um, other redemptions though, like Prez Belusky, I couldn't stand his character in the first season because of what a piece of shit he was, especially when he took he beat that one kid and he lost. His oh eye. yeah, when they when they show up to the the towers at two a.m. and they get their police cruiser burned down and then it, all that yeah awful awful police yeah. but a but a terrific educator yeah and and like and honestly his so his that's a good example of a person who had a lot to offer but was being mis. He was in the wrong place. He was in the wrong place. And so you saw in the show where they move him over into like intelligence and that sort of thing. And he's kind of a savant. Like he cracks codes. Yeah, in the crime unit with with Lester. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that I loved about having Mm -hmm. like Presbelewski and Lester together because they were doing so much good. And then I did think it was good that, um, you know, they tied him into... uh, the education system. Yep. I thought that was a, I thought that was a good arc for him yep. to go into. Absolutely. And, um, other, two other redemptions and, uh, well, one of my other favorite characters was bubbles. He was oh, another staple through the yep. show, but he, unlike bunk, he did transform himself. And especially after having that, that tragic experience by accidentally being responsible for Sherrod's death with his hot shots and, and going through that transformative period where he, he finally got himself clean, got off the drugs. Why, at the end of the show, he's having sister. He works uh, at the kitchen. Sister, having food. dinner with his sister. Thought he had AIDS, thought he just deserved to die. And he, he like couldn't, he was experiencing that cognitive dissonance because he's thinking like, I deserve to die. I should have AIDS. I shared needles with people who had HIV and like he was free and clear. And, and right along with Bubbles, I loved Waylon. Yeah. Who is he's played by um Steve Earl and a very cool cool musician that I want to experience uh I want to listen or explore more of his music sort of like alternative country some folk music stuff like that but man I I loved his character I loved the way he talked he was like very yeah. uplifting and positive all the time and this by the way um Steve Earl's son uh, I think his name is Justin Towns Earl another tragic this is two people in the same episode now a tragic casualty of this piece of shit pandemic of fentanyl uh in our society he his son is also a talented musician or was he passed away in 2020 from fentanyl laced drugs and that's how michael k williams died too i think i don't know if i mentioned that earlier but he just died in 2021 so not even two years ago uh, again, from fentanyl. It's incredibly drugs. It's, So we're talking about all the realism and nihilism and, and relatability in this show. And meanwhile, there are people directly affected and who died as a result of the very problems that we're seeing in the show. It's just, it's just unbelievable. But um, getting wrapping up the character section here, one other quick name I got to drop on you that he really grew on me, even though he wasn't a huge character until the end, Norman, who was like that campaign manager for... Um, for Carcetti. Oh my God. That black I guy with the, with the beautiful him. voice, the yes, super deep his voice. His voice was amazing. Oh, and I love He was funny as fuck. He was funny as shit because he was so blunt and honest. Very and dry humor. All yes. The, and, and I loved when he would make himself laugh. He was yes. a great character. Yeah, I really enjoyed so. that character. One, you know, one other character, and uh, I, we don't. I know it's a controversial season, season two, because um, that's like the longshoring season. Oh, thank you. So th- that whole thing is very interesting. A lot of cool characters. I mean, like the Greeks in, the, in that whole conspiracy is very interesting as well. Um, I really, what's the name of the? Frank Sabatka. Frank Sabatka. Terrific season, character. Yes, in season two. So I know, I yeah, and again, that so that season doesn't get as much love as it deserves i think and again maybe my opinion will change on our second watch through but you see frank sabatka trying for all his might to save the longshoring and that's really his goal throughout that whole season like he doesn't have ulterior motives in the sense of like trying to be truly evil he's not trying to be a kingpin he's getting extra money on the side and he's doing it in a way that you know he He's trying not to hurt other people because he wants money to help the union. union brothers. He wants yep. to help his union brothers and he wants to, you know, bring more business back. He doesn't want to see it closed up and he doesn't want to see, um, 
you know, uh, condos and, and hotels built in that area. And then if, if you fast forward into the show, you can actually see they, I think they do go through with it. They, yep. at le- I don't know if it's the exact same dock. It, it might be. They go ahead with it and they have plans and they, they build some kind of luxury apartments or something. And then you end up seeing some folks, I think at least one person later on in the show, he ends up homeless. Yep. And then in um, season five. Yeah, and then don't we see his his um nephew, his nephew Nick. Nick later yep. in the show? Yep. What's his nephew doing in the, later in the show? He's basically like protesting. He's at Car- Car- yeah, he's at Carcetti's thing. That that's at what that the tie speech. was. Yeah. yeah, at the one speech. Um, yeah. So that in, in the way he died was just so sad. He didn't deserve yeah, that. Yeah, Frank said, yeah. I mean, when you mess with people like that, those are the stakes. Yep. But my God, it's he, he was a really good character. And, you know, it, that season was very controversial when it came out because those characters and the setup in season one were so unbelievable that that's what people wanted more of. And then they completely shifted gears to that. And it was just wild because I, I wanted to mention this earlier on and, and I forgot, but this show won no major television awards whenever it aired. That's mind boggling to me. Well, it's, it's just dumb. It, and, well, yeah, but it has aged so well, and I think it's because people sort of are watching it and looking back on it, and being like, "Oh my god, this this really is reality." Like we're seeing the same shit, the endless cycle of all of these things in our own lives. Another thing that I thought was a cool, um, it, I don't want to call it a theme, because it's, it, it's not a theme, you know, like like a plot devices, things like that. I think the reason, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in assuming for this is, you know, for you as well. But for me, I think the fact that we were born when we were born before cell phones and, you know, back when we we were introduced and we interfaced with like antiquated technology, like the older stuff. And and in this show, you see them like getting wires for pagers and cracking mm-hmm. pager codes. And then you see them getting track phones. And like, I remember going in like, cause we didn't have cell phones. And even though I think like the first cell phones were coming out, track phones existed. And I can remember I saved up allowance money and, or, and birthday money, whatever. And I went to Walmart and I got myself a track phone. And then I was able to pay for minutes for like texting and calling. And I think that was like seventh or eighth grade when I first got that track phone and like seeing that in the show. And then like the, the kid and his girlfriend, they're driving up and down the coast, buying yeah, a bunch of track hilarious. phones yeah. and shit like that resonated with me. So I think that part of the show where it's nostalgic. And I think that's why mm-hmm. I like the Sopranos so much is because I'm seeing so many things that were part of my formative childhood. Sure, and I'm like, wow, it's kind of like a, that nostalgic feeling. I love that. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, wrapping up the characters section, who was your most hated character? I just have one answer. I, 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 won't, I won't give you a clue unless you want one. Rawls. No, he was a dickhead, good character, kind of. He, he just thought he was so awesome that I almost feel sorry for him. It's it's not Rawls. Rawls I hated, and for me, that's I a good didn't. Call, though. I did not like um, the senator. Um, oh, Clay Davis. Clay Davis. That, that's my least favorite. I, she, I, she, I think he, he was so evil. I hated that. Like is, shame on him. The reason I hate him is because did I guess it right? Yeah. That's what yes. I said. He is the embodiment of everything that's wrong with this country. Exactly. L- literally yeah. the everything. You're, he's literally, he is the, the quint- quintessential piece of shit predatory politician. Yeah. And, and that's why things he, don't he, get done. Yeah, that's, I, I don't even need yeah. anybody who knows yeah. me knows what I'm talking about. So, um, and I, it was terrible to not, to see him not get, I, I thought we were going to see the total implosion of his character. And that's what I wanted more than anything, more than anybody else in the show. And what I loved was Royce mayor, former mayor Royce coming to bail him out, holding up his hand at that, you know, little, a press showing right after he like got off scot-free and they're smiling and he's raising his hand up and he's like, Oh, this, this man's a pillar of the community. He's going to keep fighting for the, for the people of, of Maryland, blah, 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 blah. And then he like talks through his teeth to Clay Davis. And he says, he literally, he's a, they're all criminals 
just like the actual criminals on the streets. They're no different except they have money. And he is saying through his teeth, he's like, you're going to carry this for us. That's, that's, that is the lingo that the actual folks on the street say, like whenever you, when somebody gets popped and somebody has to go to prison, you got to carry this. You know, you you can't ride anybody out. You got to do your time. That's part of the game. And when he said those exact words, Oh my God. Cause the good, the difference is with, with the, the people from the streets, they're not, they're not pretending to be something else. You know what I mean? Yep. Whereas politicians, I mean, don't get me started. So, um, and, uh, you know, it just, we talked a lot about the characters, but it is truly staggering the amount of talent in this show and people who got there like ser- like catapulted, uh, I think in their careers, starting obviously with Idris Elba as Dominic as West Stringer. as well. Dominic West too. He he never got like to superstardom though. You know what I mean? No, like I know he him played from that some shit things. bag in Three Hundred. Yeah, he was in Three Hundred. He was in h- hilarious Punisher Warzone, Hannibal Rising. He's in a couple of other movies and shows and things. But like, I wouldn't call him a superstar. I think his most impressive role is as Jimmy McNulty. I mean, oh it, yeah, very complex you know, character. So good. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that halfway through the show, like in season th- three, I think it was season three, when he finally went back on the beat in the Western District and he got shacked up with that with uh beatrice Beatty, yeah Beatty, like that was such a beautiful mcnulty he was totally I was changed. so happy i know i was like wow look at this zen mcnulty he's yeah, so zen sweet McNulty. and awesome and his his ex-wife was like oh shit maybe he is a good man yeah and, and then, then no he just starts banging hoes on top of his police change. cruiser flashing um, his badge like oh get out of here you speak, shithead speaking of beautiful men lance reddick one of our favorite actors. Oh my God, just Lance a specimen Reddick. Of a oh human. my God. No, okay. He's in my top five too. We should have said Daniels, yeah. He, yeah, he's I don't know. I, I don't know why he I forgot about him. He kind of pops in and out. So that, that's, you know, he's not like necessarily one of the biggest driving characters. He's okay. important, but you know. I think it's because I see him as Lance Reddick and not an actual yeah. like character. Yeah, I know I'm like, oh my God, look, it's Lance Reddick. Yeah. Michael K. Williams, obviously, um... Michael B. Jordan, as we mentioned, which I forgot to mention, when he died in the first season, his death and D'Angelo's death, they like took the wind out of my sails. Like I, those really hurt. Those were some of the most impactful deaths I have ever seen on television that like really bothered me because, you know, Wallace was like, it's me, you know, like you guys are my, you know, and oh my God, that, that really hurt to see. Uh, Bodie, that was another oh, tough death. Bo- he went down. With, he didn't go down without a fight. No, he wasn't but running. Bodie's death was very sad. It, I don't know. I don't know why. Because like again, he killed Wallace, and like you have like this bitterness about it. But like you see him die, and you're like, man. You know, we didn't talk what? about how Omar died. It, and oh, Omar's death. That is little the worst piece of shit, Canard. There are two things happening at once. One, like I said, life is cheap. Where just like. It's just another death, and and two, the corruption of the youth. Like, this kid yeah. was insanely young. And I will say, so for me, the saddest part was, it was just so unceremonious. But I know, the other but thing it was brilliant. Too, That's part of the it, message. It was brilliant in the way they did it, and but it still pissed me off, because I wanted I to see him, like... I know, you want to see him kill everybody, but that's not realistic. Like, he, he had a broken leg. Yeah, yeah, but um, the one thing I did think was really cool was, like... So he was killed by this kid with whatever, like nine millimeter, 45, whatever, a handgun. And then in the show, after he dies, you hear people having conversation and rumor and they're talking about how Omar died and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, assault rifles and like, you know, ARs and, or, or whatever. Yeah. They, they're talking about like the legend of Omar. And I thought like, okay, at least Omar's name is living on in infamy, but I like to think that he's on the island still and yep. he's he's didn't come back and he's living his best life another great example his omar little little's character is based off of a, a real um armed robber murderer and anti-crime advocate his name was donnie andrews and he was one of the guys that was like he, he was one of like butchie's henchmen that he hooked omar up with the one that dies in the apartment shooting, mm-hmm. the shootout, that that was actual Donnie Andrews. Oh, my God. The, I mean, I say the actor. He's a real person turned actor. But um, at last last uh, name I wanted to mention, freaking crazy, Aiden Gillen, who is Tommy Carcetti, the mayor. For, oh, freaking yeah. Littlefinger from Thrones. He, he, plays doesn't, like, he plays like the same, same character, character in a way. <laughs> he does not land that that role in Thrones without the wire. Yeah. Guaranteed. Because I look at that and, I, and 
again, I saw Thrones first, and then I look and I'm like, oh my God, it's Littlefinger. Yep. yep. Wrapping up the show, um, I, I will say, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that crazy serial killer arc in season five. The ending montage just br- brings everything together, shows that cycle being completed. Like, you know, um, Michael Lee is the new Omar. He's yep. got he's got the shotgun. He's got like the hood up. He's knocking off the the super rich drug dealers and yeah. Marlowe's people. Um, Marlo walks, you know, because yeah. of uh, basically the this, the stuff that got him in prison wound up basically being inadmissible. Like it was it was bullshit because yeah, of the way. They and you also went see him. Uh, he goes back to the street and he proves himself. He, yeah, he was like, he I can of, still bang. He says, you know what? I still got the street in me or exactly. something. Yeah, in a suit and gets cut. In a like suit, that was. Yeah, he was. Marlo was one guy that I wanted to die, that I couldn't stand, but I wound up. He's a, he's a he's fantastic acceptable. character. Yeah. And if you want to see, um, well, I'll get to this at the end of this list real quick, but uh, I talked about Cheese getting killed. Um, one of the souls with the most potential who I thought was going to be saved and didn't, Dookie. Dookie, yeah. You see, yeah. he comes from the streets. His, fam- his, quote, family is all absolute garbage. He winds up shooting up, you know, living on the streets. He's toast at that point. You just know. Yeah. Um, Pre- you see Prez Belusky, who had given him an olive branch. Yeah. He goes back, gets money yep. from Prez, and then goes and buys drugs with it. So, like, you know that that relationship is over. And and, and I love seeing a name and being so, uh, saved as Weebay's kid, like, from one of the most stone-cold gangsters in the Barksdale crew. And it was like, yes, he's my blood, but he doesn't have any of my heart, you know? Yeah, it was we Bay fucked a dead woman. Oh, God, he, that dude was savage. Um, and, the, like, he didn't even give a shit when he found out, like, she was dead. Um, Slim carrying on the what's left of the Barksdale slash Stanfield organization, whatever, with Vondas and the Greeks, that yep. last scene, you know, that somebody's going to sell it. And as soon yep. as Slim and his peeps are gone, somebody else is going to... Yeah, it rise up and take that, that place. Yeah, it's, there's never just going to be a permanent vacuum. Um, Carsetti moves on to be governor, you know. So, just truly a beautiful show. I cannot say that enough. And um, you know, I, I hope for those of you. I, I'm assuming everybody who's listened all the way through. Uh, this went on a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I hope you enjoyed listening and sort of reminiscing with us because it's still pretty fresh in our minds. And I am looking forward to the second, third, and tenth run throughs when we inevitably rewatch this show and for those of you who don't know if you've seen the wire i have a follow-up for you a follow-up assignment there is a another david simon show that was just put out in april of 2022 there are only six episodes it's a standalone thing a lot of recurring wire actors so you get to see them 20 years later like marlo marlo and you see Marlo as a police Slim officer. Slim Charles was in it for a second. Like, there's, there's a ton of other people, but James Bernthal. Um, and it's right in Baltimore. Name? John Bernthal, sorry. The, the guy who plays the, the Punisher in the, in the Punisher TV series. Yes, it's set in Baltimore. Same sub, a lot of the same subject matter. This is this is truly based on real events, though. Like, it's, it's all yeah, serious stuff. We need so. to pick it back up. We watched the first episode. Uh, I think it's terrific. I can't wait to finish it. But it is, it's like dessert for Wire fans. So. Yeah. Definitely check that show out. We probably we won't have a separate thing. It'll probably be in a rundown because it's a you know relatively short um, excursion. But there you have it, folks. The Wire. And uh, as as my last act on this episode, I think we covered everything that we tried to. I did pour. I see. I I want to do a toast um, to one of the greatest television shows of all time, and uh, I, I have to do this to Jimmy McNulty. I just I love the guy. It, Weirdly, I didn't have him as like one of my favorite characters, but he he is. He's he's a staple of that show, and it 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 needed him to, from season one to five. So, to McNulty. To McNulty. Oh, that was Jameson, by the way. I don't think you said that. I didn't. Thank you, Tara. I was just going to wrap. We just up. did. Alex and I just did two uh, shots. Each of us had a shot yeah. of Jameson. Thank, thank because, you. What would I do without you, Tara? Yeah, there were many times in the show where you see them at the bar just getting totally wasted, and he's just drinking Jameson like it's water. Let's wrap this up in an hour. Last question. Rank your theme songs. Every season has a different theme song. One, five, two. Ah, I don't know if I did that right. I think you nailed it. My my 
my favorite is because it got me started on it is probably the first one. I didn't like three and I thought four was acceptable. Five and two are like tied for me. Five is sung by Steve Earle, which, you know, I told you I love his character. I like what I've heard so far of his music. But the the writer of the song is Tom Waits and he's the season two one. That's the original song. Third would come after those for me and I didn't really like four at all. And, And I feel bad. That's the only one that was written for the show. And I think it was by like some random teenagers or something from Baltimore. It's it's very cool. I think it's a, a neat creation. Just yeah. it, it wasn't my favorite of them. So thanks for joining and, and helping me gush about uh, the wire terror. Always. Awesome. I beg your pardon.